all things COVID. Dr. Patty Powers comes to shout out patriots to tell us what we want to know and what we don't want to know about COVID vaccine shots and treatment plans. I'm your host, Martin Moyer. I'm joined by Pastor Jason Binley. We asked Dr. Powers about mandated vaccine shots, effective medications, risky medications, and whether the government really cares whether you live or die, or is it really all about politics and money? Her answers might surprise you. They did me and our other Patriot guests. We hear you, Patriots. You deserve a voice, so we give it to you. Well, welcome to Shout Out Patriots. My name is Martin Moyer. I am the host. Joining me today are quite a few guests. We have some regulars here. Jason Binder, the pastor of Patriot Church. Say hello, pastor. Hello, Patriots. All right, we have Alec Rooney, the news editor of Christian Action Network. Good evening, Patriots, vaccinated and unvaccinated. (laughs) And we have Michael Moyer at the controls. Good afternoon, Patriots. Glad to have you back. Now, joining us by Skype is attorney David Carroll out of Columbus, Ohio. He is the chairman of Christian Action Network, which is the sponsor of this program. Say hello, David. Hello, David. Oh, shout out, Patriots. (laughs) All right, a little bit of humor to start today. All right, we have another special guest with us today uh, because we're going to be talking about all things covid which I believe is now the new religion of the woke council culture, progressive leftist crowd out there. They live and they die by it and they don't care if you die with them. All right. So today we have Dr. Patty powers and say hello, doctor. Shout out to our Patriots. All right. Now, uh, doctor, you are, you actually started a couple of organizations. One is called the Lynchburg medical freedom community. That's based out of central Virginia. And we also have uh, you with the Virginia Virginia Freedom Keepers. Now, are both of these groups, do they both have the same objectives or are they different in any way? Lynchburg Group and the Virginia Group are a little bit different in their objectives. And I did not start the, the Virginia Group. I did help start the Lynchburg Group. Okay, so what does the Lynchburg Group do? What is the, what is the medical freedom community doing for people? Our goal was to unite people, try to get them together. There's been a lot of isolation this season, trying to divide us and keep us from talking to each other and communicating and sharing ideas. So we wanted to bring people together in a physical location where everybody could be together in the same room and talk and share ideas and learn from each other. And then the goal ultimately is to learn how to become good citizens, good activists, How do we impact to protect our rights, the rights of our families? How do we protect the Constitution? All right, so this is in regards to COVID, correct? This started in in response to COVID, yes. Right. The mandates. So a lot of patients out there were being denied particular uh, treatments in the hospitals and by their doctors. Uh, uh, I don't know that I have them all, but uh, uh, there's the hydro. Uh, hydroxychloroquine drug that uh, is hard to get nowadays. Is that correct? That is true. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the patients are now being given remdesivir. That is also true. All right. And for some reason, they didn't like the Donald Trump's uh, hydroxychloroquine drug. I'm not sure why. Uh, but they thought remdesivir is the go-to drug. But I've heard a lot of criti- criticism about remdesivir. Uh, that it uh, doesn't have the life-saving 
uh, mystery power that the Biden administration has laid upon it. Uh, what do you think about that drug? I think remdesivir is a terrible drug. There's a lot of people that develop kidney failure and multi-system organ failure while they're on it. It's used only in the hospital, so it's intravenous. It's not avail available to me as an outpatient, but it seems to be one of the go-to drugs for the hospitals when you get admitted for COVID. So another drug that's being handed out is ivermectin. All right, that's a drug that is uh, uh, kind of popular right now for a lot of people. Uh, but I understand that to be something you take in the early stages of COVID, not in the latter stages. Is that correct? Actually, ivermectin works for at all stages. And it's even been used as kind of a Hail Mary drug. People on death's door have been on ventilators in the hospital, and some of them have been given ivermectin, and they end up leaving the hospital and get better. When well, it was developed, it was called a miracle drug, wasn't yeah. it? Mm -hmm. So between that drug uh, and the hydroxychloroquine drug, which one do you think is most effective? It depends on the stage of the illness. So for somebody early on, I think either one are good. For somebody later on, like after the first week or so, ivermectin is clearly a better choice. Okay. Uh, why do you think that doctors are and hospitals are reluctant to hand out either of those two drugs? Uh, actually, are they prohibited uh, from handing out the so-called Trump drug, the hydroxychloroquine drug now? The uh, guidance from our big medical organizations, the NIH, the CDC, the American Academy of Medicine, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and all these other big groups have come down and said uh, that they don't think that there's good research supporting their use in this, for this purpose. They want to use remdesivir. Why do they want to use remdesivir so much? Well, I think ultimately with these drugs, you have to look at who's profiting. Mm -hmm. So when you have drugs that have been around for many years and they're off patent and they're inexpensive and widely available and they're on the WHO list of best medicines, you know, they maintain a list of safe and effective and inexpensive drugs. HCQ, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are both on them and they've been on them for years. And they're both so, off patent, right? They're both off patent. Yeah, so Patty, making big bucks for anyone. Right. If we use the same logic, right, they're saying that they don't want to use those two drugs that we've spoken about because of they haven't been researched, they can't be trusted. Can we use the same logic against them for the rendezvous? You can. You can try. Yeah. You're up against the whole news media. Yeah, I'm just saying in our, in our logical minds, right, we, we could use that same argument. Exactly. Now, the other issue with the hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin is that the vaccines, which are really more experimental genetic therapies, they're not truly vaccines in the way we understand vaccines, but the experimental injections were approved under emergency use authorization because for COVID there was no other treatment available. And if there is another effective available treatment for COVID, like ivermectin, then the EUA, the EUA basis falls apart, and then the vaccines cannot be used under EUA. Right, because the there's EUA, a safe alternative. Right. The EUA offers the manufacturers protection from liability. And uh, when, when would it actually be, I guess, off of the EUA? Like how long, I guess, do they have to go through long-term trials before it becomes... <laughs> 
We don't really know. You know, vaccine development in the past has always taken six, eight, ten years. Years and years. And now we have uh, the Pfizer Comirnaty product, which has been authorized by the FDA, which is not available in the U.S. as far as we know. The ones that we do have available in the U.S., the, the Pfizer-BioNTech, the Moderna, and the um, J&J shots, they are all still under experimental use authorization. And, and is that, that, you know, that new pill that uh, came out recently? The Oh, the one I can't say. <laughs> the the, the, <laughs> yeah. the Pax, Paxlovid? Uh, I think that's the right one. Yeah, yeah, there's another generic name for it that I can't say. One that begins with AM also. Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. Is that EUA as well? I th- I don't know. I have honestly been so busy since it was put out that I haven't had time to look. Do you happen to know, Patty, when um, when Remdesivir came onto the market? How long has it been available? Months. Just months. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's definitely a, still a big moneymaker. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm gathering here is you're saying that the medical industry is emphasizing money over the lives of people that uh, we can make bigger bucks if we put them on an un, on a drug that just came out that still people have to pay because it still has this patent, right? Right. Uh, and we're willing to risk your life over that rather than treat you with something that's cheap because nobody's going to be making any money on it. Ultimately, that's exactly right. That's the bottom line. Follow the money. What's really baffling to me is it's my understanding that for years, physicians have been permitted to prescribe any drug that the FDA has previously found to be safe, even for a use that wasn't originally developed for, and that was never any problem. Why all of a sudden is there a problem with ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and zinc? That's another great question, and I think you have to go back to where... To where who's profiting from alternative choices such as the injections? But that use is called off-label use, and I have for years prescribed drugs off-label. It's never been a problem. It is not prohibited. Doctors are allowed to look at the research and make their own clinical judgment and say, yes, I think this is a reasonable thing. I come from the field of pediatric endocrinology. Many of these drugs that we used in pediatrics were never studied because there's the whole issue of ethical um, considerations when you're doing experiments on kids to try to figure out, does this drug work? Does it not? What doses are effective? So the drugs that we used were often used off-label. Well, we know there's incentive, right? Are you hearing about medical society, medical boards disciplining physicians for using these off-label drugs? Yes. <laughs> what kind of discipline do they hand down for people who prescribe those? Well, it depends on the state and it depends on the offense. Um, Theoretically, there could be uh, an investigation opened by anyone who's raising a concern. The, The medical board then has the choice of dismissing the complaint or uh, fining the, the doctor or making the doctor do additional education or ultimately limiting the doctor's privileges or taking the doctor's license to practice medicine away. So I'm not, I'm not sure we made this clear uh, for people who are watching or listening in, but uh, because a couple of these drugs are no longer being prescribed at hospitals and by the majority of doctors for COVID treatment, uh, 
people can come to your organization, your group, you, and have access to these drugs. I, the I do prescribe these yeah. drugs and All others, right. lots. Yeah, so, uh, and by you writing those prescriptions to those people, you do risk perhaps some type of punishment I do. for doing that. I do. Why are you willing to take that risk? Because I want to treat my patients and I want to do the right thing for them. And the right thing for them is offering some treatment that I know works and that has good research behind it that says it's efficacious. Hallelujah. So I'm kind of curious, why do you think other doctors, I mean, they've all taken the Hippocratic Oath, I'm assuming, right? That's not just something you see on TV, right? It's something no, you really it's do. Real. Uh, if they've taken that oath, how come more of them don't think like you and, you know, are willing to you know, put the foot down and say, we believe these drugs are actually more effective than uh, the drugs that uh, are being prescribed through, I guess, the consensus of the political mandates that are being directed at hospitals and doctors, and we're going to actually help our patients. I, I you know, I, I'm already losing faith and confidence, as if I haven't already lost it already in our government officials, but this kind of makes you lose faith and confidence even in your own position, right? I'm surprised you still had any, Marty. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, you got to have a thread there, right? Because you still got to live in this country and you know, yep. kind of hope that someone up there has some common sense. But you would certainly hope a doctor that is treating you would look and say, I want to save your life and give you the medication that actually works and not what he's told to give you that he or she also knows doesn't work. So uh, do you, are you seeing any type of groundswell of doctors that might be siding with your point of view and treatment? Yeah, there are a number of doctors around the country and around the world who do think like I do. Thank God, because it's a, it's a lonely position, especially locally, to be in. There's not very many people around here that would prescribe. I'm sure. Is it, um, is it hard for people to actually get these prescriptions filled? Or? <laughs> yes, there are not very many drugstores and pharmacies that will fill these prescriptions anymore. CVS will tell you to take a hike, right? CVS and many other of the main, the big chain pharmacies won't fill. But it sounds like there's almost like through the medical world, there's this same rift. There's this same polarized split among people mm -hmm. as there is in wow. education and in business and in entertainment mm -hmm. and everywhere. Right. It's like we're just, we're polarized everywhere. And now the medical world sounds like it's polarized mm -hmm. now too. Yes, there are the vast majority of medical practitioners who think these are dangerous drugs and there's no research to support their use, although there's plenty. Uh, and you asked earlier why doctors and nurse practitioners, et cetera, won't prescribe them and pharmacists won't fill them. Part of this is lack of knowledge or lack of education or lack of a willingness to do the research and learn. And part of it is that the the big medical groups are now controlled by insurances or hospital medical groups, and there's actually a benefit to prescribing shots, the injections. There's actually a benefit financially to the hospital for prescribing mm -hmm. ivermectin and for a diagnosis of COVID. And so some groups, whether some groups of employers or hospitals have come out and said, no, you will not use ivermectin in this place. You risk losing your license if you prescribe. And so a lot of people feel their hands are tied. They have mortgages, they have kids in school, they have school loans, and they don't want to rock the boat because they figure if they do, they could lose their license, they could get fired. 
Well, I guess it's news to me uh, that a drugstore can decline to fulfill a prescription that a doctor writes out. Did it? Did you know that, Pastor? No. What is their rationale behind that? What, what do they tell the person coming in with that prescription? They either say that it's now company policy not to fill that drug for that reason, or if the pharmacist has enough chutzpah, the pharmacist will say, I don't believe in using that drug for that reason, so I won't fill that prescription. So here's a question for David. Um, do you, can, can they actually like be sued for, for doing that, for, for refusing to fill a prescription that your doctor says you need? Well, that's that's a, a tough question. I'm not aware of any lawsuits that have done that. But how do they know, for example, that you're not prescribing the the medication for malaria, which is an on-label use for hydroxychloroquine? I don't understand. There's two ways that they know. One of them is the way the prescription is dosed. So malaria prophylaxis is just used in a different treatment cycle, different take the X number of pills, different days. You know, if you're going to be in a malaria prone area, you're going to take that for a chronic thing. For COVID, we use it for five days. So if I'm writing for a five-day prescription for hydroxychloroquine here in Lynchburg, Virginia, the pharmacists automatically know why I'm using it, although the insurance companies are now asking for a diagnosis code to go along with the prescription. Oh. And, you know, so I have to put the COVID code on it. And, and the pharmacist sees that, And the obviously. pharmacist sees that. And they know and the you're not going to get company. malaria in Lynchburg. That's right. Well, it is interesting, uh, and I know this is kind of a, a bit of a rabbit trail, but... Uh, didn't some of the drugstores end up uh, getting sued for fulfilling prescriptions for oxycodone? And uh, uh, I guess that would indicate that they should have exercised their right not to fulfill those drugs. Does anybody, I know that everybody's looking at me at blank stares like they never heard of I've heard of, heard well, of that. I don't know how it turned out though. Well, I know yeah. that the company actually who, who made them uh, got sued and is out of business, not bar. They're right down the street from us. That's the reason why they're closed. Yeah, but I think if you look it up, you'll see it's, it was either CVS, uh, and I, I guess I really don't want to name the pharmacy, but uh, got caught up in the lawsuit and uh, uh, ended up having to pay or was awarded, uh, not awarded, but had to dish out of millions of dollars for fulfilling these prescriptions. And so I guess when we're in a litigious society uh, and people don't know exactly, will they get sued afterwards for doing what they thought someone gave them the authorization to do, uh, they need to be able to have a backdoor policy where they can say, well, we're just not going to do it. So... Um, I don't know. Maybe so that's... They might be. They might be more afraid of litigation if they fulfill the, the prescription because they think it's not going to work, and they don't want to be blamed for it. As far as not selling it, I've been thinking about Michael's question for not selling it. They don't have an obligation to sell anything. They, you know, they don't have any obligation to sell anything. Uh, they may, you know, if, if they they don't want to sell a drug, they don't have to. And there's, I don't see any legal liability in not selling something, but there's a potential liability in selling something that unless it's a cake for a gay wedding yeah <laughs> <laughs> in a litigious society that we live in then uh let's say that uh, you had a prescription uh you took to the pharmacy and they refused to fill it and then you went off and you died because the prescription wasn't filled couldn't you then sue the pharmacy 
for your death or have a family member sue the pharmacy for for having died for refusing to fill that prescription? Uh, not very likely, but you can always go to another pharmacy. Right. That's what they would say. You could go get it somewhere else. Yeah. So we don't have it. We don't sell it. Go somewhere else. But we do have a court case, and you and I spoke about it earlier today, that would kind of indicate that, well, that would probably depend on what judge, what court, what state you live in, and how they would interpret whether, oh, you could have just gone to another pharmacy. So this case comes out of California, and uh, it was the California Court of Appeals that ruled that uh, Matilda Eck could sue her employer, Seize Candy, that's the candy shop for damages, because while she was working, she caught COVID, went home, gave COVID to her husband, who later died from COVID. And now that employee can sue her boss for the death of her husband. So if, (laughs) if we walk down that path and the California Court of Appeals is correct that this is something you can sue over, uh, then I don't understand why you then can't sue a pharmacy for failing to give you a prescription that could keep you alive if by some, I know someone who knew someone who was around someone who died, I can now sue that person uh, for uh, having caught the disease to start with. So, uh, I don't know. This case sounds very dangerous to me. And uh, I don't know if you looked up any more about that case, David. Did you have a chance to? I did. I did. First, the case is very limited to the California Workers' Compensation Act, and it and it's, uh, gets very technical in that. But the, the court raised an interesting hypothetical. So what if you had a, an employee in a, an infectious uh, research laboratory, and because of the employer's negligence, the, the, the employee got infected, left, went out, and was on a bus and infected 20 different people? Uh, and assuming you could even prove that, wouldn't those people who are infected, shouldn't they have a right to uh, seek compensation for the negligence by the the uh, laboratory that employed that worker? I think it's a pretty interesting question. Oh, well, if you're not, I don't know about that. You know, it, that doesn't make any logical sense to me. First of all, he's in a laboratory with infectious disease. This person was in not a laboratory, but working at a candy shop. Who caught- A candy factory. A candy factory, okay. A candy factory that caught the disease- uh, who took it home and gave it to her husband. And they're suing the employer for negligence and not telling them that... The no, suing it because she caught the disease that gave the disease to her husband. Right. at work. Who, right. And the employer knew about it but didn't tell her? Well, they're making a claim that the employer should have, once this disease was known, to have, uh, enforce some social distancing, oh, mass policies... Down at the workplace okay. to first have prevented the employee from catching the disease to start with. And if they did that, this is a lot of assumption, right? Mm. I mean, you have to assume that the face mask would have worked, the social distancing would have worked, and therefore she would not have caught the disease anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, she could have uh, gone home, you know, free of the disease. Her husband wouldn't have caught it. He'd gotcha. be alive today. Uh, but and- 
Go ahead, David. You just remember that, that this case was very limited to California workers' compensation law. And what the court said, we're not deciding. We're not deciding whether the employer owed a duty to the husband, to the employee's husband. That's for a later time to be decided. And a couple of different states have considered that and said, no, an employer does not have a duty to an employee's spouse to not get give them an infection. So uh, this case might not go as far. It sounds pretty scary to be reported the way it is, but it might not really mean that much in the long run. Yeah, but it, it, it well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. It is California, you know. Um, but also, I think we should be concerned that, well, what if she just caught the disease and died uh, from having caught it in her workplace? Uh, you know, would that have strengthened her case? Well, actually, that for that would be a fairly easy case because uh, under the Workers' Compensation Acts, an employer doesn't have to be at fault if there is a workplace injury or disease caused in the workplace and the employee gets sick, loses work, or dies, the Workers' Compensation Act, they're going to be covered under the Workers' Compensation Act. It's a, a no-fault kind of, of uh, act. It's different when it comes to the employee's spouse. Then there has to be, somebody has to find some fault. you got to prove that it was caused by that. So it, it's, it's a it's a little different situation. Okay. Well, it might be different, but you know, when I was in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, uh, this past summer, there are restaurants that had signs on the door that uh, basically said, enter at your own risk. If you are coming in because uh, you might catch COVID or you might not, but uh, we're giving you a heads up that if you come in here, you're basically waiving any right to sue us if you catch COVID. Uh, so, Businesses are already pretty worried about the idea that they could be sued because an employee caught the disease or even a customer caught this disease at the office. Uh, if something like this does rule it in favor of Matilda Eck and that she can successfully sue, and I know that you're pointing out all the legal fine details, but basically the national media is going to report it the way I read it, and that's going to scare the heck out of all kinds of businesses out there who are going to say, well, every employee that comes into the office during this flu season, we're going to have to test them to see if they have the flu first, because if we don't, then it could be determined negligent on our part if that person gets sick and infects somebody else and dies. I, I just think it's, uh, you know, the the narrative of it is a very dangerous narrative to have out there. And it's something that I think the liberals love to push out there and say, look, you know, uh, this is why we have to shut things down. You know, we have to protect people. And if we don't protect them, then your business can perhaps lose everything it has uh, for not shutting down. Only the alternative is the business is going to lose everything it has. Yeah, yeah right. So, so right. if you it's stay open, no, no everything's, every, yeah, everyone's going to, um, if we stay open, we're all going to get sick and die of COVID. And if you close up, then we have no economy left and no jobs and um, everything falls apart that way. Right. So who wins? I guess the government wins, right? Because that's, you know, Yep. almost it's, become obvious what the goal is. It's a big crisis. And basically not shut everything down. Yeah. Amazon's winning. That's for sure. Amazon wins. <laughs> that's right. So control us through fear is what it is. And that's, that's what a decision like that will create is fear. There's nothing more persuasive than fear. 
Well, and it seems like that's what they're doing with these uh, alternative medicines. I mean, uh, that I believe it was ivermectin that they tried to claim was a horse dewormer uh, and, and, and made it sound like he was... Uh, you, you'd you be taking some sort of live, livestock drug if you were um, prescribed it to, you know, uh, treat COVID. And right. They were very disparaging about it, too. They, they would get on the news and say, people, you're not horses. You are not cows. Do not take this. You idiots. Yeah. But it's a perfectly yeah, they, good They want to make those drugs taboo. And if we mention it, then we're the conspiracy theorists. And uh, so we have we have a conspiracy theorist with us here tonight, <laughs> and we love it. We love it. And I got to say this about Patty. You know, I noticed a cycle probably a couple months ago in our congregation where people were getting sick. It was their loved ones, their friends, their family, and then they were going to the hospital. They weren't getting treated properly. So I said, I got to come up with some sort of solution. So instantly I reached out to you, Patty. So I just want to thank you for taking some of those phone calls and helping some, a lot of people here in Lynchburg. But Jason, you were the one who said, give me something I can hand out to these people so that I can give them some help with what can they do on their own. And there's plenty of things people can do on their own. What did you hand out to them? Oh, I have a handout that I use. And what sorts of things are on that? So what sorts of things are on there? Um, I give out the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance paperwork right now, and they have a protocol for early outpatient treatment. And on there, that's one of the things. The American Association of Physicians and Surgeons has a protocol. And then I've kind of taken from them and from other mentors and put my own together. So I give them all of this, and they can decide. But vitamin C, vitamin D3, zinc, vitamin A, quercetin, NAC, melatonin, aspirin. Using a nebulizer to nebulize hydrogen peroxide is the zinc, hugely if I helpful. can stop you for just a second, is sure. it the zinc, like the zinc pill that you just swallow, or is yeah. it the spray or the lozenges? Or The dose is 50 milligrams twice a day, however they however can get it However you want to get it, okay. Right. Okay, so like the, the Zycams and the um, zinc lozenges and things, yeah. okay. All I'm a it. big believer in those. Yeah, and the hydrogen peroxide in a nebulizer has been great. Um, having an oximeter at hand is great. And for people who want to be prepared, there are ways to get prescriptions for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine to keep on hand in case you get sick and you're worried that you might not be able to get a prescription filled at the pharmacy. So I have a question. Those, um, the, the vitamins and things like that and the zinc, is that a preventative measure or is that something that uh, you're going to be taking while you're sick? It's both preventive and treatment. So lower doses typically for prevention and higher doses typically for treatment. And I always add in a few more things for people who are sick than for people who are well and using for prevention. Um, I actually uh, was wondering this before I actually met or heard about you, um, how people without the sort of contact like Jason would go about trying to find a doctor that would actually prescribe things like this. Word of mouth, probably. That's how all my patients seem to find me. Right. There's no like way that you would recommend people to look online for it. Like say they live in a different state somewhere. Actually, there are databases. So the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance, the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, the America's Frontline Doctors, um, they all have online databases for who's prescribing in what state. And some doctors can do just one state. Some doctors have licenses that cross state lines. So there are ways to find people. All right. Last week, the Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, came out and said that 
the rise of teen and young children's suicide rates are skyrocketing because COVID is causing a mental health crisis. Is anybody else familiar with that story? Oh, yeah. Yes. It's extremely scary. Yeah, so let me read you his quote. They haven't been able, talking about these kids, they haven't been able to see friends as often as they would, and that's taken a toll. That's why we've seen anxiety and depression where it's going up among kids. But here's the really important part. Our kids are struggling long before the pandemic. Okay, so basically he's saying that uh, child suicide rate had already been increasing, at, but through this pandemic, it's gone up even higher. And we know what he's talking about because I think uh, most of the schools in Virginia now have to have a face mask on all day during, right. during school hours. They were shut down for much of last year. Just shut completely down. shut down. And when you're a teenager, think about how much you depend on dances, sports. getting together with friends, sports teams, mm -hmm. dating. You know, these are the things that, you know, these are relationships that affect the rest of your life. And they're well, missing out on it. Right. I couldn't imagine going to school and not being able to see people's reaction to you or talking to yeah like uh, i mean you can't get how are you gonna meet a girl <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly how are you gonna do that and then if you don't wear the mask and i know obviously it's gotten a lot worse but you know a month ago i heard that the kids that don't wear the mask they get put in an isolation room so they're looked at as the outcasts so whether you wear it or not there's still the issue there yep and they get scapegoated just yeah, like so the adults without masks too. the chance of a teenager or child dying from uh, COVID is like one in a million. I read that yesterday. I don't or know if that's true. Less. Or probably even less. Yeah. So one in a million. But nevertheless, uh, our government officials are willing to sacrifice their lives to be making a point. But I've truly, I, I try to wrap my head around this. What is this point they're trying to make? You know, they want to give you pills that do not work, that just allow you to die a slow, agonizing death. They want the kids to you know, be locked up, uh, not see each other, leading to a teen suicide. Uh, and all of this is for what purpose? It's almost like there's, unless it really is now a religion to them, that they bow at the feet of COVID, and that is where they get their direction from. Uh, is there another type of intent that these political leaders have and deceiving the nation about what is a good drug, what is a bad drug, and how to avoid getting this disease through the fictitious belief that somehow social distancing or wearing face masks or taking a vaccine is gonna stop you from getting it. What, what does anybody here think about? What is the ultimate goal here? Because that has to be something. Well, I, I think that, um, that that element of control that they are trying to get from you, that they are trying to assert because this this disease has been so scary at least at the beginning that uh people would follow on what they say ever since the beginning and once you give up that control it's hard to take it back from them if you're afraid to go outside because of this uh you're going to live your life by their rules and if they do it long enough you're not going to know how to operate yourself well one of the advantages to them is that for people of our age trying to gain control over us when we grew up with the sense of freedom and liberty and it's rooted in our dna uh it's a much more challenging thing to make us you know put us under the feet or under the thumb but for young kids, if they're growing up in school right now from elementary on up, and this is what they know, 
This is how they've been raised, that the government tells you where you can eat, you know, where you can go, how far you have to stay away from each other, what you have to wear. Uh, now you have a controlled population out there that you're not going to have to fight with, you know, 30 or 40 years down the line. And I think that's the scariest part of the whole thing. I think that's exactly what they're trying to do to these kids. They don't care if they commit suicide doing this. Fine, weed them out. We don't care. We only want the ones that are alive anyway that have agreed that you're going to live under our thumb. And uh, we've trained you. We've conditioned you. Now we have you. And you're not going anywhere. And I think that's the true goal of this whole thing. There's also, Patty, there's there's health concerns, right, with wearing the mask on children. What are, what are some of those health issues that can occur? There's so many. <laughs> Where to start? <laughs> so when, you, when you're wearing a mask, your oxygen level is less, your carbon dioxide level is more. That is a stress on the body. It's a threat. Your body is not adequately, efficiently oxygenating. So that triggers stress hormones. Long-term stress interferes with your immune response. Oxygen is good for your brain. People that wear masks all day complain of brain fog and headaches and visual changes. There's the issue of all the bacteria and fungi and all this stuff that accumulate on the mask after even just on a clean mask after one day of wearing. So there's a group of parents that clean masks, put them on the kids all day. At the end of the day, took them, had them analyzed. And it was amazing the number of bacteria and germs. This is, and it wasn't like, you know, strep. It was tuberculosis. And it was Neisseria meningitidis, which is a meningitis bacteria. You know, so it's not just, you know, oh, it's just, you know, a little cold virus. It's bad stuff. And then you're rebreathing all that. And it's yeah. growing oh. on this moist mask all the time. And kids get irritated and they get rashes. And, and it's a kid that's not fully developed yet. The brain's not fully developed yet. Brains need oxygen. The other thing is that kids are learning to communicate. And one of the ways we communicate is with our faces. Mm -hmm. and, and that's especially true as, as you're developing and you're trying to learn what facial expressions go with innuendo and, right. and language and trying to put all that together And into you're a trying context. to express your own comments with your own facial expressions exactly. and no one can see them either. So there was an article in the recent Epoch Times from David Hanscom, an orthopedic surgeon, and he was talking about how you see a face and, you know, we always interpret threat or not threat, even without thinking about it. It's just part of our survival. We co-regulate. And if the face and the expressions are viewed as safe, then, oh, that lowers our, our stress hormones. It improves our communication. Yep, brings us adults. closer together as brings human beings. Brings us closer together. Yeah. And so having a mask on all the time is isolating and dividing. Yeah. Isn't it funny that, uh, you know, I don't want to say that this is actually something that they in, uh, meant to do, but uh, all these like effects are, are, are able to drive us apart so far. Like uh, this, this is going to work out perfectly for the metaverse and uh, which is the VR system where it keeps people at home. They don't actually see people face to face anymore. They rely on, Things like uh, Amazon to get their products. Uh, Facebook for their social interaction. Facebook for their social interaction. and uh, It's not healthy. 
No, yeah. no, it's not. And it, it seems like all the all the money for this is going straight to the pockets uh, of the most elite out of everybody who's, you know, <laughs> in the wealthy area right now anyways. All right, I'm going to throw this out there because we're running out of time. And I'm going to see if I can say it where it makes sense to everybody else. And it will be controversial because this proves to me that the government could care less about your health. They just do not care about your health. All right. So HIV. Ooh. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Men having sex with men account for 69% of all HIV cases. Add another 2% to the transgenders that add on to that. People who inject drugs add another 7% onto that. So by and large, the HIV cases that are in the United States are produced by three categories, transgenders, homosexuals, and drug users. However, we do not see such as in a face mask policy that people who engage in homosexual sex must wear a condom, do we? Now, if they really cared about the people's health, then why not also mandate that if you have homosexual sex, you must wear a condom? And why are we now setting up havens for drug users in New York City and in Rhode Island where they can have supervised heroin injections? Oh, yeah, on the West Coast. And you're right, and in the West Coast. So this just shows me they really do not care about your health. Now, HIV causes dementia, depression, heart strain, respiratory infections, shingles, seizures, lymphoma, and many other complications, including suicide among people who contract that disease. And it sounds just as bad as if you had COVID, but you do not see government officials trying to clamp down on people people's activity for gaining HIV, do you? There's no, well, to prevent HIV, we want you to social distance each other when you're having homosexual sex or keep that needle at least six feet away from you or you might catch HIV. So I think it's an insult to us to actually believe the federal government or any government out there cares about whether we live or die. it's all about politics and who they favor. They favor Control the homosexual the community. Right. And think about the preventative measures that they would have to actually put into place to, to, to stop this from happening. Now, they would say um, for, for gay people and stuff like that, they would say, well, you can't tell me that I have to wear a condom in order to have sex. That's, you know, private them in my bedroom. You can't, can't really say anything about it. But they're making you wear a mask to go to the grocery store. Everybody. I mean, that's as personal as it gets. You can't ask somebody to, to wear a condom. Then you can't ask them to wear a face mask. Well, there's, there's, no, there's no incentive from keeping the homosexuals away. There's no incentive to keep them from not getting HIV. Like there is incentive to keep them getting COVID and staying on the drugs and the vaccines and all these things. So, I mean, it, it all comes down to what Michael said. It's all control. Yeah, and, but and, aren't, aren't and, they, it, in the end, doing a disservice to the gay and lesbian community, though? I mean, these are the people who are getting really sick. These are the people who may die from HIV. These are the people who are struggling with their health because they have HIV, yet the government doesn't seem to care about them. I mean, it could work both ways. 
the gay community could say, ah, government doesn't care about my life. They're doing nothing to prevent HIV from spreading because they're allowing all this activity of unprotected sex to take place, which also, by the way, would endanger me because I have to have or want to have sex with a homosexual person. I, I should. see what you're saying now. Yeah. Like if the, if the government really cared about HIV victims, they'd be shutting down every gay dance club. And that's country. my point. Yeah. They really don't care about your health. Right. Doctor. So I'm reading Robert F. Kennedy's book. On the, it's called The Real Anthony Fauci, and he does get into that in great detail about research and research direction over the years. But take that thought about the government not helping us in this time. We know that vitamin D levels are correlated with how well people do in the hospital. And if your level is over 50, your risk of dying is much less. Well, who's promoting checking vitamin D levels and actually encouraging supplementation to make sure your levels are appropriate? We know that your immune system is very much dependent on your lifestyle. What do you eat? How do you sleep? How do you move? What kind of toxins are you exposed to? There is no push for clean eating. There is no push for organic food. There is no push for all of this stuff that we know would make a difference. Yet there is the push for wear a mask, social distance, and you better get that injection. Yeah, mandates for the injection. Yeah, so what I guess we concluded is that there's either one or two motives or possibly both. Money, it's driving politics around this medicine, um, or they just don't care and they want control of your life and they're willing to sacrifice your life to have control of your life. Uh, HIV and COVID, HIV, uh, at least to my knowledge, is something that they actually could extinguish completely because, I mean, you quarantine everybody who has COVID. <laughs> if you quarantine everybody who has HIV, it's it, that will actually disappear. That's true. Well, it is true. That's why I say well, they really don't care. It turns out that we're not really so clear on what exactly causes HIV and AIDS. And we're not really exactly so clear on what this COVID thing is. And I was listening to a podcast last week between Dr. Lee Merritt and Scott Kesterson on his podcast, Bards FM. And Dr. Merritt goes into nice detail about how they really have never isolated the COVID virus. And if we don't have a virus that's explaining all this, then what is this? And why does ivermectin, which is a parasite drug, or hydroxychloroquine, which is another parasite, malaria is a parasite, why do these drugs work for COVID virus? It's, it's you know, you, a lot of rabbit holes there, but I don't right. think we have all the answers by any means on what this a virus is, is and a why. a whole different thing than destroying a little What's a virus? osmodium from a... Right. Yeah. Nobody's ever seen a virus. Nobody's ever seen a virus at work. We've seen bacteria and we've seen parasites, but I just don't think that we know everything. Well, I think that's going to have to wrap it up for us on this episode of Shout Out Patriots. And those who are watching or listening, you know, please remember to share this podcast with your friends and uh, uh, subscribe to our channel. We love to have you as our guests. We enjoy doing these episodes and trying to bring some of the best guests out there uh, that we view are patriots for America so they can tell their stories and what they're doing uh, because we know the mainstream media is not going to interview them or help advance their cause. So we have to set up alternate media and that's what we're doing right here with Shout Out Patriots. We're looking, we're scouring, we're trying to get some of the best patriots out there onto our show. So 
uh, please subscribe to it and also recommend it to your friends and let us continue to grow. So thanks again, Dr. Powers, for being on our show. And thanks for everybody else that's sitting around the table. I won't go through all the names again, but it's been a very interesting topic of discussion and a very frustrating topic to begin with and one that we're not going to solve tonight. And But I think, uh, you know, we're not even close to hearing the end of that nasty word COVID for quite some time. I think it's just going to keep mutating and mutating and mutating and something else uh, as a way to control our lives. And we got to figure a way of bucking the system and, uh, you know, uh, you know, ending this control that they want to place on every one of us, including our little children. So, all right. Thanks again. And good night to everybody.